the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for December 28th, 2010. And I intended to do the study on uh, Sunday like we normally do, but I just was kind of been under the weather lately and um, wasn't able to really get it done till tonight, so I apologize. And uh, just kind of give you a rundown of the um, table of contents, kind of a cliff note version. Uh, first little article we'll be looking at is entitled, Was Jesus Christ Born on December 25th? And we're going to debunk that notion. I've done a lot of things on... Christmas in the past, uh, absolutely identifying it as a pagan holiday, but also this is another thing that will actually come up under that heading that I've never really addressed, but is easy to address. And then the next thing is a new documentary coming out called Why Does the Gate, the Emerging New Christianity, a look into the invasion of the old New Age movement into today's postmodern church movement. So that's kind of a just a look at that uh, DVD that's coming out. And then the next article is a majority of Protestants in evangelicals now embrace the doctrine of universalism. Uh, and what they did is they took polls and they found out the majority of people that would call themselves Protestants and evangelicals actually believe that um, if you're a good person or people from other religions and cults, as long as they're good people, they can go to heaven. And we're going to look at what the Bible says about that in depth regarding good works getting us into heaven. And I have dealt with that subject in the salvation teaching that I did, and I'll post a link to that, but we're going to just kind of reiterate some of those things to uh, uh, so you can understand that subject a little more clear. And then we're going to be looking at a series of articles that relate to the Muslim infiltration of America and uh, the, how politics is encouraging that, and just so much of the hypocrisy that we've went over, but I just keep getting bombarded with it, and it's hard not to report on it, because it's so overwhelming and so flagrant and so in your face, uh, I just really feel compelled that we, that it needs to be exposed. Uh, we're also going to be looking at some things toward the end here, uh, some feedback from listeners, and just some miscellaneous things we'll be looking at there as well. Probably going to be, I'm thinking probably about a three-part teaching. It's a 22-page uh, PDF document, so it's probably going to be a good three three hours, most likely. So anyway, the first article here is entitled, Was Jesus Christ Born on December 25th? Most people assume Jesus was born on December 25th. After all, that's the date celebrated throughout the world as the day of his birth. A careful analysis of scripture, however, clearly indicates that December 25th is a very unlikely date for the birth of Jesus Christ. Here are two primary reasons. First, we know that shepherds were in the fields watching their flocks at night at the time of Jesus' birth, according to Luke 2, verses 7 and 8. However, shepherds did not remain in the fields of Judea at night during December due to lack of forage and bad weather. Forge meaning what the whatever they had cattle or sheep or whatever grazing on. Uh, obviously, you know during that time of year, there's going to be limited um, things to forge on. According to celebrations, the complete book of American holidays, Luke's account 
suggests that Jesus may have been born in summer, early fall, since December is cold and rainy in Judea. It is likely that shepherds would have sought shelter for their flocks at night. Page 309. Similarly, the interpreter's one-volume commentary says the passage argues, quote, against the birth of Christ occurring on December 25th, since the weather would not have permitted this. Uh, Shep would not have permitted shepherds watching over their flocks in the field at night. Second, Jesus' parents came to Bethlehem to register in a Roman census according to Luke 2, verses 1-4. through 4. The Romans would have known better than to have taken such a census in the dead of winter. I mean, it's the same thing like in America. When do they have the census? Well, they have it during warm weather where the census takers can go out and do their dirty work. Okay, And, and I mean that because we've reported widely on what the census is really about. And um, in particular in America, but they're not going to do this during the dead of winter. You know, it's just not the time that you would ever uh, uh, want to do something like that. It would the um, inclement weather and, and these types of things would would really hinder those efforts. Uh, so again, the Romans would have known better than to have taken such a census in the dead of winter when temperatures often drop below freezing, roads were in poor condition for traveling, etc. Taking a census under such conditions would have been self-defeating. Okay, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead here a little bit too much here. Okay. So, if Jesus Christ was not born on December 25th, does the Bible indicate when he was born? The biblical accounts point to the autumn of the year in the Northern Hemisphere as the most likely time of Jesus Christ's birth, based on details of the conception and birth of John the Baptist. Since Elizabeth, John's mother, was in her sixth month of pregnancy when Jesus was conceived, according to Luke 1, 24-36, we can determine the approximate time of year Jesus was born if we know when John was born. John's father... Zacharias was a priest serving in Jerusalem temple during the course of Abijah, according to Luke 1.5. Historical calculations indicate this course of service corresponded to June 13th through 19th in that year. That's from the Companion Bible 1974, Appendix 179, page 200. It was during this time of temple service that Zacharias learned that he and his wife, Elizabeth, would have a child, according to Luke 1, 8-13. After he completed his service and traveled home, Elizabeth conceived, according to verses 23 and 24 of, I believe, Luke 1, assuming John's conception took place near the end of June, if we add nine months, it brings us to the end of March as most likely the time for John's birth. If we add another six months, which is the difference of ages between John and Jesus, this brings us to the end of September as the likely time of Jesus Christ's birth. So we have two different things there uh, that we just kind of went over that would point us to, you know, the end of September, uh, the you know, the fall, the the you know, the, probably the start of fall, that time time of year. Um, as being the approximate time. Now again, I'm not going to try to, to sit here and say it was just exactly this date. I believe that we don't know that particular date for that very reason because Jesus wouldn't want us celebrating. I mean, his birthday. There, there's no biblical precedence for celebrating Jesus Christ's birthday. Look at the mess that has been created as a result of what the Catholics did to Christianize 
a pagan holiday, which was Saturnalia. Okay? This is, this is the mess Jesus Christ knew would be created if we knew the exact date of his birth. The pagans would get a hold of it, the, the corrupt religions of the world, the corrupt pseudo-religions of the world, particularly Christians, would get a hold of it, and they would turn it into the fiasco, into the debacle that it has become. The winter wonderland, you know? You know, saved and unsaved in lockstep, celebrating the birth date of Tammuz, the sun god, side by side. I mean, don't think I'm cynical. I mean, I don't want you to get that impression, sorry. But that's what it is, that's what it's become. This is, you have to understand, what is December 25th? We've went over this uh, in detail. It was actually moved there by the Catholic Church when they really took over and took pagan holidays and put a Christian veneer on them. Originally celebrated um, as Yule, approximately, Yule, or the the winter solstice, uh, December, you know, 21st, 22nd. And then the Catholic Church ended up moving it to December 25th. But what was it really celebrating? What was Saturnalia celebrating? Which, which is what it was originally called. Well, it was the birth date of the sun god, Tammuz. Okay? The basically reincarnated Nimrod. So, this is where we get Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz. The original pagan trinity. Okay? This is how it happened. Okay? And the Catholic Church was instrumental in taking that holiday and putting a Christian veneer on it, and the pagans knew better. And I mean, you can read you can read occultists and pagans even to this day, or, or, or earlier writings, and they knew what it meant. The Christians are the ones that don't know what it means. But that's what happened, okay? And, and I really believe that it was, his birthday was withheld because he knew this would happen. Jesus Christ knew this would end up happening. But, you know, Satan figured out a way to do it. You know, be you know, he used the Catholic Church. It really is is the instrumental way to try to introduce it into the um, kind of like you know the Christian faith there. So going back to this article here, um, although it is difficult to determine the first time anyone celebrated December twenty fifth as Christmas, historians are in general agreement that it was sometime during the fourth century. Well, that would make a whole lot of sense because. You have, in 318, essentially the Catholic Church coming through um, uh, Constantine, I believe, and um, really would be considered like the first pope, okay? And I've done several teachings on this as well. And, And he was the one that really got, you know, the whole Catholic thing going and rolling. And it would make sense that, you know, during the 4th century, that that would have been about when they would have actually got... The, uh, the pagan holiday of Saturnalia Christianized into what we would call Christmas because we have the modern day advent of the Catholic Church around 318 AD. And I think I had said 318 BC before in one of the other... And I'm sorry if I said that. It was, it was AD. So anyway, uh, so historians are in general agreement that it was sometime during the 4th century. This is an amazingly late date. Christmas was not observed... Um, in Rome, well, it was observed in Rome as Saturnalia, okay, but not as Christmas. Uh, so Christmas was not observed in Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, until about 300 years after Christ's death. Its origins cannot be traced back to either the teachings or practices of the earliest Christians. 
which you know th- that right by itself should should cause uh, quite a bit of alarm. And here we are in in, in the the lukewarm Laodicean church era, uh, you know. And if you don't buy into that, if you don't buy into the whole church uh, Laodicea being being the uh, time that we're in, okay. Well, you can look at all the other Bible verses that say there's going to be a great falling away and a great apostasy. And if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect, according to Matthew twenty four twenty four, and, and that God shall send them strong delusion that they will believe a lie that they might all be damned to receive not the love of the truth, according to Second Thessalonians chapter two. Okay, and that evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, according to Second Timothy three thirteen. So you 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 got all these these things that in the end times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron, according to First Timothy four one. So you got all these Bible verses, you know, that are pointing to it's going to be this way. It's going to be this lukewarm, apostasy ridden time. So that by itself. Any practice that the modern-day Christian 501c3 corporate church of America is embracing, you really, you would really, by default, knowing that we're in the greatest delusional time ever since Christianity started, you would really, by default, want to really take a good look at what you're doing and see if it lines up with the Word of God, the King James Bible, and the English-speaking language. I mean, don't, don't you think you'd want to at least do some cross-comparison there? The Bible says to study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we want to do this. You know, it just makes good sense, you know, to do this, to compare Scripture with Scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept. This is what the Bible says we're supposed to do. Be like the Bereans, which were more noble than those in Thessalonica, because they sought the things out in the word to see if they were so, according to the book of Acts. So these are the things that that we should be doing anyway. Anyway, I just wanted to kind of touch on that, because, um, you know, people that would argue, I just think it's something that that needs to be known as well, when you look at the whole subject of of Christmas, you know, which we've covered in... um, I had a big, in the last teaching we did, I reposted my teaching on on that, and we, we looked into the, the uh, solstice that just happened and the full lunar eclipse and the occult significance of that. So I think that was something that um, is very important to look at. Now this next thing is uh, a new DVD that will be coming out. It's called Wide is the Gate. The Emerging New Christianity, a look into the invasion of the old New Age movement into today's postmodern church. We're going to go ahead and watch the, or listen to this trailer. It's not very long. Kind of give you an idea of what it's about. There are many church leaders who say we need to reinvent Christianity. These popular movements are creating alternatives to biblical Christianity. What they're doing is they're showing people, most likely in Pentecostal charismatic churches. Now listen, that's where, I mean, I I spent my time in the old charismatic Pentecostal ranks. I've been there, done it, was one of probably the most radical, I mean, this was a long time ago, but uh, they show people writhing around on the ground and going nuts and shaking their head and doing all this other stuff. And whereas the Bible clearly indicates that, you know, everything should be done in decency and in order, particularly in the house of God. The Bible also says to lay hands suddenly on no man. And there's so many things that go on, particularly in charismatic Pentecostal circles, that if you examine it, I mean, the way they even, 
you know, uh, everybody praying in tongues at the same time. It's it, it just totally unbiblical stuff. And there's because there's no policing from a biblical perspective of, what, of what's really going on in the church, it has allowed this leaven, this false doctrine, because that's the, the main source of leaven that if you look at what Jesus Christ identified in the Bible, when Jesus Christ said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, he wasn't referring to bread or, the, or whatever would make dough rise. He was referring to the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Because bad doctrine has come into the church and the pastors have abdicated their role in policing these types of things, for the most part. I'm not saying totally. And I'm not saying every pastor. I don't want to like you know, lump everybody. And when I say every one of them, I can't stand those types of analogies. Because then you're like, it's like you're speaking on behalf of the whole world. Like you're, you're putting a label on every single person on the planet. Now, I'm not going to say that. But for the most part, in the modern day lukewarm church, we've got a lot of leaven that has creeped in, into the church, and it is permeated through, just like leaven would through dough. And what it does is it blinds the people to biblical principles. It blind, And then they're using watered down New Age Bible versions, which all have essentially spawned from the 1881 revised version of Westcott and Horde, which is where we get, you know, like our American Standard and our NIV and our you know, um, you name it, just about most every every one of them came from that or spawned from that version, which was essentially written by two occultists named Westcott and Hoare, who used two totally corrupt Catholic manuscripts in order to write it. Now, the Bible says if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, if the foundation of your Bible is a corrupt Catholic manuscript written and translated by two high-level occultists, I think that it might affect your spiritual walk with the Lord. Considering that the Word of God is the foundation of our faith, you want to make sure it's as pure as possible. Uh, There's all kind of Bible verses that that you could point to uh, that would emphasize the importance of this. You know, know, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. These types of things. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalm 119, verse 9. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, verse 11. Uh, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So you've got all these these Bible verses that, and that's Psalm 12, verse... uh, six and seven. Um, all these Bible verses emphasizing how important it is to keep the pure words of God and the Bibles have been corrupted. The church itself, particularly in America, have yoked itself up with the government with their 501c3 corporate status. And I truly believe the two biggest things that have let the leaven in originally in the Laodicean church era, which I believe probably started around 1880, we have a lot of occults that started at that in that general time period as well. You've got um, you've got Jehovah Witnesses, you've got Mormons, you've got Seventh-day Adventists. And I, I know there's a probably Seventh-day Adventists listening to this and they're, they're appalled right now. Well, I'm sorry, but, you know, Ellen White was was nothing more as far as I'm concerned than a witch. And just just look at, at all the garbage that she was into. And she's a cult leader as far as I'm concerned. So if you follow 
any man or any woman that started a religion, uh, the Bible strongly warns against doing something like that. The Bible says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. So, you've got to be real careful. That's Jeremiah 17.5. So, you've got to be real careful who you're following, who you're putting your trust in. And that would go for any of these new 501c3 modern churches that you could get into. You can, you can set up Joel Osteen as, you know, your uh, spiritual head, and he'll lead you straight to hell. Or Benny Hinn, or whoever you want to. You need to search these things out in the Word of God, stick to the King James Bible, and, it, and my general advice is to stay out of the corporate church system, because these systems have been leavened. And I don't see a lot of Bible verses for denominations either. What are denominations? I mean, really, they do, they're, they're more divisive than anything else. Now, I understand, the, world, the, the one where religion is going to come together in unity, right? Everybody's going to come together, and all these denominational barriers are going to be broken down. But that's coming together um, through, like, air. That, that is coming together through, through leaven. That is coming together through like the the things that are going to end up uniting these particular religions, which ultimately is going to be uh, their universal worship of the Antichrist and the false prophet. These are the types of things that are really going to bring the one world religions together. But the modern day Christian religions and denominations, of which I have heard there are up to over 20,000 different flavors and varieties... And this is why I don't call, label myself under any different denomination. Okay, I call myself a born again Bible believing Christian. That's it. Okay, because you got all these different denominations. Which one's right? Twenty thousand plus. Well, mine is the one. I, or I encounter this all the time. Somebody that says God showed me this, and it is so. And it's like I've never even heard this before. You got to be really careful when you when you run into that type of thing. And I'm talking I'm talking about people that have their own little pseudo cults as well. God showed me this. Okay, so he showed it to you, but never through the history of humanity has he ever shown it to anyone else. You're so special. And it's usually something that is like salvation hinges on. So, think about this. And this would apply to any cult. Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, Seventh-day Adventist, whatever. Okay. They have the audacity, or anyone else out there who thinks they got their own little pseudo-cult and God showed them something that they've never shown anyone else. And it's usually major enough, Hebrew roots would be included in this as well. Okay, I don't want to leave them out. Or the identity movement, or the serpent seed movement, or whatever. Okay? Think about this. These people think they're so special... God is the only one on the planet that ever showed them this. What does that also do, if you think about it? What does it do? What, what do you think about Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, all these cults, pseudo-cults that, I, that, that I've mentioned. They really believe they're the only ones on the planet that have it figured out. They have the audacity to then make the mental, logical leap that's saying, well, we're the only ones going to heaven. All you other heathen are going to hell. Because God showed us something because we're so special. And all you other devils are going to hell. Now what is that? That's pride, number one. They have the audacity to believe that they think that, you know, we're, we're the chosen. 
We're the chosen, and all you others are just, you, you better get on board on our bandwagon, or you're all going to hell. So, they have the audacity to think that this infinitesimally small percentage of people in this particular cult have got some type of divine revelation that God's never shown anyone else. And they're the only ones that have it figured out on the planet, and they're the only ones going to heaven, and everyone else is going to hell. Which is usually, you know, the logical conclusion of any particular cult or religion. Man, what arrogance, what audacity to think that. And if you belong to the Seventh-day Adventists, or if you belong to the Hebrew Roots, or the Mormons, or the Jehovah Witnesses, or whatever or whatever pseudo-cult you belong to, you are in that category, and you are blinded with pride. You may not admit it, but you are. I have dealt with so many people in the Hebrew Roots, Seventh-day Adventists, not a lot in, in, in the Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses. But they are, you can't tell them a thing. And I've heard all their arguments, okay? But they're unteachable. Totally unreachable and totally unteachable. And I don't, I don't mean just to meddle on them. There's a lot of different Christian pseudo-religions that would fall into this classification. But you can't reach them. Because they know it all. can't tell them a thing. doesn't matter how much Bible you give them. Why? Because they have chosen to follow some man or some woman. And that they have gotten brainwashed. They have gotten demonically, totally deluded from the demons and devils that operate through those specific cults. Their minds have been darkened. Their minds have been blinded. And they don't see it. And pride has come in. Hey, I'm, I've, I've got this figured out. And they get arrogant. And you know what happens? It's just like the same thing that happened to Satan. When he said, I will ascend under the sides of the north. I will be like the Most High. Because of his merchandise, and because of his beauty, it says he was lifted up. He was full of pride, and that pride blinded him. And he was unteachable and unreachable. And he became so delusional, and so deluded, that he actually thought he was going to usurp the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the First, and the Last. He thought he was actually going <laughs> to take over the throne or something. I mean, you talk about delusional. That's what happens to, to, to people when they get involved in these cults, where they're either following some man or some woman. And they're letting them do their thinking for them. You have to understand, it is a demonic thing that's happening to them. They get into these cults, and maybe at first you know, they're just going to explore. But if you go to these churches, or if you go to their little cult worship centers, understand something, you're on Satan's, you're in Satan's territory. If you willfully put yourself underneath them, and you sit there, eventually, and it might happen quickly, and it might not happen as quickly, eventually, you're going to become deluded, you're going to become deceived, and, and, and you're going to become blinded. And then all of a sudden, you're going to think you're the only one on the planet that has it figured out. I would never say that. You know, I stick to the Lord, to, to the Word of God in, in the Lord Jesus Christ in, in, in the simplicity of the Gospel. Which is what Paul talked about, I believe, in Galatians. Where he says, I marvel that you be so soon removed from the simplicity of the Gospel. It's simple. For you are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No, 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 no. It's about works. It's about keeping the Sabbath. It's about doing this or doing that. These the Sabbath keepers, what about all the other 
And it's about, I think it's over a thousand other commandments in the New Testament. What about them? They want to dwell on this one commandment in the Old Testament that was given to the Jews. And it was specifically given to Israel. It doesn't matter how many other Bible verses you, you point them to. It doesn't matter. Well, what about all the other commandments in the Old Testament? What about really keeping the Sabbath properly? You better not pick up a stick on the Sabbath. Or you're gonna, you, you, just, you better have your buddies take you out and stone you. Are you really observing the Sabbath that, that well? Are you really doing it that well? What about all the other thousands of commandments that we're ignoring in the New Testament? What about those? Oh, no, no, we don't, we don't talk about those, really. The simplicity of the gospel. That's what happens when you end up following a man or a woman or some cult. Don't do it. Stick with the word of God. I've never pointed anybody to anything but the word of God. The King James Bible. In the English speaking language. Stick with that. Don't follow me. Don't follow Scott Johnson. I'm not here to start some little cult. It's not about, it's, it's not about me at all. Just like the Bible said, John the Baptist said, um, you know, after he met Jesus, I must decrease and he must increase. Jesus Christ should be the one that is the center of our focus within the word of God. Not any man or woman. I mean, I'm just, I'm bombarded with it. And I've been bombarded with it since my ministry started. I honestly think the remedy for so much of what I just talked about is humility. Fear of God and humility. Fear of God and humility will keep you away from a lot of satanically snared pitfalls that you might fall into. Pray for it. Pray for fear of God and pray for, humi- for humility. Because the, the, the problem is, is knowledge puffeth up. The Bible says that. So, knowledge can puff you up. You start getting the big head? Well, I, I, you, you know, I, I know everything. I'm the man. You know, God's, no, I, I heard God's voice audibly. I'm not saying God can't talk to you. But I'm saying, whatever you think you're hearing from God, it better line up with the word of God. Because the Bible says, I've magnified thy word above thy name. So if you think you're hearing from God, you better be able to verify it in the word of God. If it contradicts the word of God, you didn't hear from God. And if you say that you, you got this word from a prophet or whatever, or this or that, that prophet better be prophesying according to the word of God too. And if he's a true prophet of God, he should be nailing it 100% of the time, according to Deuteronomy 18. Back then, the punishment for, for being a false prophet was death. I mean, it was that serious of an offense. Okay, so I'm just saying, these are some biblical tenets. I mean, I, I, I had it, I'm up to my ears in this stuff with, with you know... The, the, the false religion. And, I, and I'm not saying this because I think I'm Mr. Perfect and I've got it all figured out. Quite the opposite. Okay? I mean, if I got what I deserved, I'd get death and hell. And I've said that before and I'll say it again. And that's all I deserve apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. That is it. That is all Scott Johnson deserves apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Death and hell. 
Okay, so I'm not sitting here saying that I think I'm, I'm better or, 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 or they're worse than me. I pray to God their souls be saved. But the false religion that I'm seeing, I can't keep up with all the, the heretics and the apostate and the heresy anymore. People email me all the time and they're like, do a study on this guy. <laughs> I, haven't even, I haven't even heard of this guy or this woman. I, I, I haven't even heard of him. Used to be, there weren't so many, and there were there there were ministries, and I still reference them, that were going in, you know, Benny Hinn and, and Kenneth Copeland and whatever Hagen. Now there's so many different flavors that you can't keep up with it anymore. I can't even find information on these people. They're too new, and most of the ministries out there, those ministries that were kind of before they were like really going after and keeping an eye on these, they're not doing it anymore. Lighthouse Trails Research does a, a good job on the emerging Christianity movement. But a lot of the ministries that I, I look at now, a lot of their stuff is only pertinent regarding like the older people uh, that, that maybe like from 10 years ago or at least five. But the newer people, you can't keep up with it all. And I, I don't mean to knock those other ministries because they were doing, they've done a great job. But it's almost like I think a lot of them got to the point where they were like, well, you know, there's too much to even try to keep up with. And, and, and you know, maybe Satan got them off track and, and they stopped doing what they were doing. I mean, it's, it's really tough. I, I, can, I can empathize and sympathize with a lot of these ministries because it's really tough to immerse yourself in this stuff every single day. It's the reason I think I got sick last week. Because between all the garbage they were trying to do in this lame duck session, I mean, I don't know if any of you have any idea what just happened in the last two to three weeks with our lame duck Congress. I mean, it is getting so draconian, the things that they railroaded through, I'll probably go over this next week, just a cliff note version of all the stuff they did. So flagrant, so draconian. And then you have the church doing nothing. For the most part, the modern day 501c3 corporate church that's yoked up with the government, they're doing nothing. They're not, they're not doing one thing about any of these issues. The Bible talks about the, 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 the government that frameth mischief by a law. Okay? They're, do, they're doing nothing, for the most part, for the most part, to point this stuff out. All this horrific evil. Because, see, if they did point it out, they get their 501c3 status revoked. And, and they couldn't be a good corporate church and they couldn't get subsidies from the government and their parishioners couldn't write their, their, um, stuff off on their five, on, on their, uh, IRS taxes, which is a real great reason to, to, you know, give and tithe so you can write it off on your taxes when the Bible says, no, not your, not your right hand, know what your left hand's doing when you give alms and these types of things. You're not supposed to draw attention to yourself. And that's a whole other subject I've got into as well. The, the whole concept of New Testament giving. But, if you go up to contendingfortruth.com and go to the right-hand corner and click on Downloads, you can see about 383 studies I've done there where you can just click on audios and believe that one would be under New Testament giving. But all this stuff's going on, and it's just it's sickening to see the apathy. I feel you, you, you get to the point where you're like, my word, I'm, it, somebody help me out here. I mean, I'm not saying there's not other ministries not trying to do this, okay, what I'm, what I'm trying to do. Uh, but there's not near enough watchmen. 
These other ministries are in, are in positions where they can reach millions of people, but the problem is, is they're already in bed with Satan. So they can't. They've got to keep their mouth shut. They, they, they've, already, they've already chose the path they're going to go. And I'm not labeling every 501c3 ministry in that category, but, you know, the, just the evil that's happened in the last two weeks is just unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And, um, it, you know, it gets to you. It, it gets to you. You, you, you. you do this for year after year after year like I've been doing it. And God has to put something special in you to be able to endure it every, every day. Because it is depressing. You know, and I understand, evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. We know it's going to get worse. And I can understand how the Bible says in Daniel where it talks about that the Antichrist is going to wear down the saints. Because it does. It, it, it's a wearing type of down process. Now, we are more than conquerors through the Lord Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The Bible says, Call upon me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? So those are the verses we need to dwell on when we start feeling that way. The Lord Jesus Christ is still on the throne, you know, and, and, and he has, he's not going anywhere. And he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's coming back on a white horse, you know, with a sword of the spirit in his mouth and his saints in white robes. And, and so it's not like we don't know that he doesn't win, but within the battle, it, it can get, it can wear on you, you know. So anyway, I just wanted to, to say that. Let's go ahead and start this, uh, start back on this video again here. I really got off on a tangent there. I'm sorry. church leaders who say we need to reinvent Christianity to reach out to what's called the postmodern generation. The core premise of postmodern philosophy is the idea that truth is subjective and therefore relative. Well, the emerging faith is subjectivism. It's a denial of absolute truth. And so everybody can have their own truth and we can all come together in unity. Within the emergent church, because they have thrown out the idea... Okay, so what are some Bible verses that relate to that last concept? There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25. He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28.26. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17.9. So these these are what happens when people get off in these cults. And, and they start trusting in their heart. Okay, but the heart is deceitful above all things, the Bible says. And desperately wicked, who can know it? This is why you just want to stick to the word of God and compare everything else against the anvil of truth, which is the word of God, the King James Bible in the English-speaking language. Of absolute, objective truth, the idea that we can open up God's word and discern his timeless, universal truth to humanity. What has happened is they've basically exchanged a rational Christianity 
for a irrational Christianity, which is based on human subjective experiences and human subjective emotional experiences. The ancient future movement is also part of what's called the emerging church. The view is is that traditional Christianity is too legalistic, too dry. The seeker-friendly movement is too superficial, too entertainment-oriented. People from emerging generations, those under 35, want a more profound encounter with God. One aspect of appealing to the postmodern generation is to introduce techniques, spirituality, litanies, rituals, and so on. This is called vintage Christianity or ancient future Christianity. Let's go back to the disciplines of the monks. Let's introduce some of the ideas of the East from yoga. Yoga too. And again, they, a lot of this does hinge way back on that mystic, Catholic, uh, pseudo-Christianity. Okay, a lot of that they're trying to bring in to this, this new age, and it's gonna fit right in with the Antichrist. The type of religion that he's gonna, that he's gonna bring in, which at its core will be witchcraft. Okay, the essence of the coming one world religion, and I've said this before, and I even have a teaching done on it, uh, coming one world religion, you know, witchcraft is the essence of it. And, um, the Bible says the Antichrist will cause craft to prosper in his hand. He's gonna be a speaker of dark sentences. He is going to deceive the whole world by how? Well, the Bible's very clear. By the lying signs and wonders and miracles. That's how he's gonna do it. Well, what is gonna be the source of the lying signs and wonders? Witchcraft! He's gonna be the most powerful, him and the false prophet are gonna be the most powerful witchcraft magicians that the world has ever seen. And they're going to deceive people by their own hearts, because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Because they're going to see these mighty things calling fire down from heaven and all this and that. And, and, and they're going to put their trust in these lying signs and wonders and miracles. And they're going to be deceived thereby. And God is the one that's allowing it to happen, because the Bible says for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned who received not the love of the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So, this is just part of what the Bible said is clearly going to happen. 2,000-year-old pagan religious philosophy, which is now widespread throughout the emergent church movement. Never see Jesus talking about walking prayer labyrinths, teaching his disciples to practice yoga, practice contemplative prayer. These are all things that don't come from biblical Christianity at all, but are being embraced by the emergent church today because they're looking for some kind of subjective, personal encounter with the divine. And so they say that if we can find these kinds of things in other religions, let's borrow these things from other religions and just call them Christian. For those... Uh who profess to be a part of the evangelical church, they're now introducing prayer altars, prayer labyrinths, uh, techniques, bells, incense, candles, all of these things that have a very sensual seduction, but they are not biblical. Many people who are seeking after an experience to participate in Christianity are not interested in studying the Word of God. They say that you know teaching the Bible word by word or verse by verse, that just doesn't work today. What you need is the experiences that you need to be able to smell God, taste God, feel God, touch God. Years ago, Psychology Today said that the 
Eastern worldview, Eastern religions would come to the West as a psychology. Psychology is not science. It is experiential. It has to do with feelings and moods and understanding. It also teaches uh, bottom line that we are innately good. This is an idea out of Hinduism. Christ, in New Age terms, is a state of being rather than a person. It means someone who is in touch with their higher self or their true self. They see Jesus as someone who came to show us our divinity. But this is God in the occultic sense. This is not the Judeo-Christian God. This was a God that resonated with the Hindu and Buddhist concepts of God, a God that you could have mystical experiences with, the God that you could embrace through uh, meditative practices, New Age spirituality. The concept of the divine in all is now considered to be quite normal, whereas before it was considered to be blasphemous. Contemplative prayer, also known as centering prayer, is where we can come to the fuller understanding of the unity of all that is. Well, these are classic Hindu concepts. You know, all is one, unity of all that is. In other words, there's no such thing as good or evil or the kingdom of God, kingdom of Satan, that all is one, everything is united. The practice of contemplative prayer is a mystical tradition, which goes back centuries and can be traced back to a group called the Desert Fathers. Is presented as the way to know God at a deeper level. Centering prayer was where one goes into the silence. One takes a Christian word and says it over and over again. And you go into altered states of consciousness and you actually come out with the same mindset as people who are doing yoga. And this is why the Bible said Jesus warned about you, uh, reciting prayers with vain repetition. Okay, For this very reason that he just mentioned. These ideas take people away from the Word of God towards mystical experiences. And these experiences are exactly the kinds of things that are practiced in the East by those who promote Eastern mysticism. Contemplative spirituality is a belief that I can look within. It's a very subjective and experiential technique for finding truth, but not based on the Word of God, based on somebody's feelings and experience. What we have to understand is that in a mystical way of approaching God, it's all subjective. It's all what, what you hear in your altered states of consciousness. Christians have to base our faith on what the Bible says. Christians have to have faith in the Word. Non-Christians have to hear the Word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. One of the major ideas of the purpose-driven movement is that the world can be transformed by working together for the cause of good, to bring a social change on planet Earth, to eradicate AIDS, poverty, illiteracy, and other major problems that the world faces. Rick Warren, in the purpose-driven movement, is going to reform the church. So he says, his idea is that we're going to change what the church does. Using modern marketing techniques and business management techniques, Rick Warren has a program called the Peace Plan. Rather than going forth and preaching the gospel authoritatively, calling people to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent of their sins, and to uh, serve him, Jesus clearly told us that the end was coming, and that as the end drew near, we would see more and more chaos, confusion, catastrophe in our world. And this is why, as Christians, we need to keep the gospel at the forefront, which is the eternal heart condition of men and women. The peace plan is we're going to go out and solve the world's problems, cooperating with the other world religions. Rick Warren even says that the man of peace who could help you in a village can be a 
a Muslim? Can you work with Muslims? Can you work with Hindus and bring this all together as one global faith? Biblical Christians believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He came once, paid the penalty for our sins. He's coming again. We look for his return. Other religions have messianic ideas. They believe that someone is going to come and solve the problems of the world. For example, in Islam, the 12th Imam, who's going to come and deal with all the kinds of issues that, that are problematic today. Within Hinduism, they're looking for an avatar, looking for another incarnation. In Tibetan Buddhism, another Dalai Lama. The problem is, is that these are false messiahs. Actually, the Buddhists are looking for the fifth Buddha. Islam's looking for Imam Mahdi. The Christians are looking for the Christ, Jesus Christ, to come back. Uh, Jews are looking for the Messiah. And these are the things that Maitreya, this devil Maitreya character that we've done so many teachings on, all claims to be on his UN-sponsored website. So, just I thought I'd throw that in as well. And the only one who's going to fit their definition, their view, is the Antichrist. The emergent church really believe that we can eliminate poverty, we can save the environment, we can uh, end racism and genocide and all the social ills in the world. And that is the gospel for the emergent church. This is an ecumenical idea. Ecumenism meaning that, um, uh, that all religions have a part to play in solving the problems that we see around the world. The Roman Catholic Church is really the catalyst for the ecumenical movement today. It's building bridges into all Christian denominations, and that's what ecumenism is. It's an attempt to unite all of Christianity. There's been a great influence by the Roman Catholic religion. Their eschatology says that Jesus Christ will not return until the whole world is Roman Catholic. And so they have an ambition to unite all of Christianity under the power and influence of the Pope. All true, and um, they're, uh, they're going to be instrumental in bringing these other Christian religions underneath the umbrella of the Catholic Church, most likely um, that is going to be the way. It, it has the best infrastructure in order to do that. It's probably the most powerful uh, branch of all pseudo-Christianity. And this is the same uh, devil cult, pseudo-white witchcraft devil cult, the Roman Catholic Church, that massacred uh, at least 50 million during the Inquisition. And a lot of those were true, born-again, Bible-believing Christians that would not compromise their faith. And they have the audacity to come now under the veneer of being true Christianity and say that they're the mother of all these churches. Well, you know, they claim that because the Protestant movement came out of the Catholic Church. The word Protestant means to protest. These were the ones with, like Martin Luther, that came out of the Catholic Church. And in those same denominations that came out of the Catholic Church have a ton of demonic baggage that they brought out of the Catholic Church. And this is why I'm not big. Another reason I'm not big on denominations as well. Um, and these denominations, some of them, that when they first came out, you know, they persecuted true born-again Bible-believing Christians as well. And, and that's not well known. But I don't ever call myself a Protestant, ever. Probably the best book that I've ever read on this particular subject is The Faithful Baptist Witness by Dr. Phil Stringer. And it's not about, to me, it's not about Baptist, okay? It, it, it is about what was the line of true Christians that came up 
through Antioch, which the Bible says in Acts is where they were first called Christians, Christians that, you know, were, were true born-again Christians. Where, was, where did that line go? Okay, Anabaptists, the Lombards, the Waldensians, and these types of people. He is an excellent writer and an excellent speaker, and he did a very good job of documenting that in a very simplistic way. So you can find that on the internet, The Faithful Baptist Witness by Dr. Phil Stringer. And that will tell you uh, the really the true lineage of Christianity as, as we can trace it to today. So I would highly advise, and you're not going to hear me recommend a lot of books, because I really don't have time anymore to read anything other than the Bible and just try to stay on top of all these, these current events. Uh, but that is one book that I would say you might want to you might want to read. It's very good and um, insightful. Prophecy tells us that there will be an apostate form of Christianity, and we see that there's two streams of Christianity operating side by side for the last two thousand years. You have the apostolic church founded by the Lord Jesus Christ that follows the teachings of the apostles, and then you have the apostate church operating right along with it. And those are following doctrines of demons. It's a false brand of Christianity. There is a new gospel being promoted today by the emergent church. There are many church leaders who say we need to reinvent Christianity. These popular movements are creating alternatives to biblical Christianity. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few are those who are on that path. But wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many are those that travel that path. I apologize for the non-KJV verse there at the end, uh, but anyway, uh, that looks like, a, I mean, as far as a good summation of what is kind of going on. It looks like a fairly decent uh, DVD that you might want to look at there, and uh, that's going to be coming out in the spring of 2011. Uh, next article is entitled, Majority of Protestants and Evangelicals Now Embrace the Doctrine of Universalism. The majority of Protestants and Evangelicals believe that the good people and the people of other religions can go to heaven. Now, the majority of them. According to author David Campbell, Campbell, who co-wrote American Grace, How Religion Divides and Unites Us, contends that surveys of 3,000 Americans used to write the book show that American people of faith are very tolerant. So much so that most believers also believe that good people, despite their religious affiliation, could go to heaven. Among the faiths, 83% of evangelical Protestants agreed that good people of other religions can go to heaven. 83%. 90% of black Protestants also believe good people can go to heaven. When prodded further, more than half, 54% of evangelical Protestants said yes, people of religions other than Christianity can also go to heaven. 62% of black Protestants agreed with the statement. Now I'm going to throw this in here, um, which which re- re- relates to this subject. It says, but the Bible states you cannot get saved unless you know and believe that you are a sinner. The Bible tells us that man is a sinner. The Bible says that when that we are all, each one of us, born in sin and condemnation. Romans 5.19 For as by one man's disobedience, meaning Adam's, many were made sinners. Okay, That's when sin entered in. The Bible says that there is no natural or inherent goodness within you. 
Romans 3.12 says, they are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. It says that it, that through that though you might do right, you are destined to fail. This means that it is impossible for you to save yourself or do anything in any way to earn your salvation. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. That's Romans 7.18. It says that your good deeds and your good works are worthless in the sight of God. Isaiah 64.6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. The Bible says that if you attempt to earn salvation through your good deeds... Uh, this would mean your deeds or the deeds of other fallen human beings, you only earn further condemnation, according to Romans 4, 2 through 5. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Okay, so, again, if Abraham were justified by works, he could glory in those works. But then it says, what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God. What does that imply? That implies faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. So, that's something that's very important to understand. The Bible says that fallen man is an enemy towards God and has earned God's wrath. Uh, Colossians 1.21 And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, now hath he reconciled, through the Lord Jesus Christ that is. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The Bible says that the human heart is wicked and deceitful. Uh, again, I've just quoted this, but the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Jeremiah 17, 9. The Bible says that unsaved man is spiritually dead in sins. Ephesians 2, 1. And you have he quickened, meaning given life, or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then it says in Colossians 2.13, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, meaning Jesus Christ, having forgiven you in all trespasses. Romans, or 1 John 1.8, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself here. The Bible says that you are a sinner who has earned God's wrath and is already condemned. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1.8. I mean, I've heard these stories about people that, <laughs> they, you know, they've been going to, like, church and somewhere, and, oh, that, this brother hasn't sinned in, like, 20 years or something. <laughs> I've heard these stories. Um, I heard a preacher, Ernest Rockstad, one time talking about this subject, and <laughs> this one guy had said he hadn't sinned in, like, 20 years, and, and he went, and uh, I think he went to the guy's house, and... Um, I, he was having some conversation with the guy's wife, and, and, and she revealed that um, uh, he beat her, like, all the time. And he didn't consider that a sin. He, he thought that, that, you know, it was his 
his biblical mandate to beat his wife. And, and here's a guy walking around saying, I haven't sinned in 20 years and he's beating his wife. You know, I mean, this is how, when you say something like that, you know, I, I mean, my word. Even if you're saved, you're still going to, you know, the Bible says the thought of foolishness is sin. So, one goofy thought in your head qualifies as sin. That's a pretty tough thing to, you know, the only time we're going to live in sinless perfection is when we're with him and we'll be like him truly, you know, in heaven, and these types of things. I mean, we should, yes, strive for perfection, and we shouldn't use our liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but we're not going to live in sinless perfection in this lifetime, you know. But I'm not saying we shouldn't strive for it either, and it doesn't give us an excuse to sin. So let's have biblical balance when we talk about this with this particular subject. But yeah, there's people out there that, that you know, uh, I've heard people like witnessing and they go to someone's door, oh, I've, I've never sinned. You know what I mean? You talk about some delusional people out there. You talk about pride. Man, I mean, if you think that you've never sinned, then you really are blinded. I mean, hardcore, really blinded. Uh, so anyway, the, then the Bible says uh, in Ephesians 2.3, We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Uh, Romans 5.18 says, Therefore, as by the offense of one Adam's sin, judgment came upon all men unto condemnation. Uh, to condemnation. Romans 6.23 says, uh, well, then, then we have Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So the price of this sin is death. Really, is death and hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's the, the gift of God. Okay. Is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, but God commendeth commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him, meaning Jesus Christ. We're justified through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that he shed on Calvary to pay our sin debt. The perfect lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth to pay our sin debt, who lived a sinless life. Only one that's ever done it. Ever. The Holy Lamb of God. That's how you get saved. Uh, then going further with that same verse, for if we were enemies, we were recon for when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. He's atoned. For our sins. Through the finished work of the cross of Calvary. According to Romans 5, 8 through 11. Uh, then the Apostle Paul was obedient to Jesus Christ when he preached the gospel. He testified both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God. And faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts twenty twenty one. Uh, here we see the necessity of repentance and faith coming together in the preaching of the gospel. Uh, Romans 5.1, once we repent, it is through our faith in Jesus, Jesus Christ's sacrifice that we are justified. Um, Romans 5.1 says, therefore being justified by faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Ephesians 2.8.9, which is one of my favorite verses, the Bible clearly tells us, it is neither repentance nor faith in any sense a work, Okay, because then you can say, yeah, well, it is about a work, because you had to repent and you had to do this. Yeah, but God's the one that even grants that. Okay, 
For by grace are ye saved through faith, the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that not of yourselves, even that faith isn't of yourself, okay, even that repentance toward that faith isn't of yourself. So for by grace, the grace of God, are ye saved, saved through the Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, you know, God will not share his glory with anybody. He's very clear on that. And um, he's not going to have people going around and saying, you know, I worked my way to heaven and I did this and I did that. When, and honestly, that's about what 99% of all religions in the world are banking on in order to get to wherever they think they're going to get. Whether they call it heaven, whether they call it nirvana, whether they call it paradise, whether they may call it hell if you're a Satanist. You know, I mean, a Satanist believes we're gonna, they're going to rule and reign in hell with Satan. It's going to be one big party and one big orgy, essentially, is what they believe. You know, so whatever, but even that is a work. So, true Bible-believing Christianity is the only religion on the planet that, that is, you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any nation boast. There's only two religions on the planet. There's works-based religions, which are where you have all your isms, you have your Jehovah Witnesses and your Mormonism and your Catholicism and your Seventh-day Adventism and your Hebrew Rootsism and all these people working and working and working. Got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. And then you have true, born-again, Bible-believing, Bible-based Christianity which says you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a, it's, it's a totally different concept. But it's, it's the total polar opposite of any other religion that, they, that that exists on the planet. So, you know, in a way it's really cool because if you look at it from that standpoint, it's very black and white. Am I going to choose all these other isms, which is the broad way, which leads to destruction, and many there be that go that, there at? Or are you going to choose the narrow way, which is actually the gift of God? Through the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, His shed blood. Are you going to freely receive or freely reject that gift? Okay? It's not anything you earn. But but I want to earn it. I want to be a big shot and in, 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 in say that I did this. Well, you can have it that way and you'll plunge into hell someday and you'll realize that you could never earn it. There's no amount... We're, we're unclean. We're all together as an unclean a clean thing apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. We can never earn or merit Something. We, we cannot live a sinless life. Only one person ever did that. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. That was it. Why do you want to try to, to, to reinvent the wheel or, or do it through some false work system when it's a free gift that you can either free, you know, you can freely receive? I mean, to me, it's, it's like the best deal on the planet, you know, the best deal in the universe. Why do you want to complicate matters? But, 99.9% of people on this planet want to complicate it. They just want to have it some convoluted, works-based, I'm better than you, my religion's better than your way. And I guess that's what I've had up to here, up to my ears, you know, just being in a ministry like this and in dealing with all these people that just insist on they're the only ones that got it figured out. Wow, how many times have I heard that one? 
You know, we're all deluded and going, and your little, tiny, little cult-like thing that you're into, you're the only ones that have it all figured out. And all the rest of us idiots are all going to hell, according to you. Well, you know what? I choose to believe the word of God and the simplicity of the gospel and what it clearly states, and it's not complicated. I would choose to believe that than you, sir or ma'am. I'm sorry, but sorry to burst your bubble, but you're not going to convince me. You're, 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 you're not going to sway me from the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to shake me because I have my house built on the solid rock of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. And you're not going to sway me and you're not going to take me or my family to hell, which is exactly what you're trying to do. And this is why I take it very personally. Very personally, I take this. Think about it. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get you to hell. They're trying. They're going to hell, and, and Satan's using them and deluding them, and they're trying to get you to hell. That's what it's about, isn't it? Either you're working for Jesus Christ or you're working against him. Either you're working for Satan or you're not. That's what it's about. I guess that's why I take it so personally. I take it personally when I see other people trying to take people to hell. When I see those Mormons riding around on those bikes and they're all dressed up and they're, you know, they're, they're Sunday best and they got their little helmets on and they're acting all pious and sanctimonious. What are they doing? The, the thing that comes into my mind when I see them is they are working for Satan and they're trying to take people to hell. It's not some little innocent thing here. It's eternal repercussions. It's a very, it's the most grave of all matters. A million years from now, it's all that's going to matter. Who got saved and who didn't? Yes, I understand there's rewards, okay? But I'm talking about where the rubber really meets the rose. Who's going to be burning in the lake of fire and who's going to be in heaven? The simplicity of the gospel. And I, I, again, this isn't a salvation message. Of course, you could extrapolate this into a, a salvation message. And I hope a whole bunch of people get saved. And I can tell you, a ton of people, praise the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll take no credit for it, have got saved through this ministry. I mean, I've, I've gotten a ton of, of feedback over the years of a, of a lot of people getting saved. Just so you all know that. Because I don't mention that enough. I really don't. You know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be up here. <laughs> I'm telling you, in the, in the last two weeks, I mean, all the stuff that, that's went on and, and gone on, I don't know how long I'm going to be up here. And, you know, if this is the last message I ever preach, then this is what I what you need to hear. Because if this is the last time I'm able, I'm able to ever communicate with my listeners, then this is the way that I want to go out. You know, because this is all that really matters is the Lord Jesus Christ. What have you done with the Lord Jesus Christ? What have you done with the Word of God? Are you saved or are you not saved? If you're not, choose whom this day who you will serve. Settle it today. Because the Holy Spirit, the Bible says the Spirit of God will not always be there to strive with man. The Holy Spirit has to be there to draw you when you get saved. You don't just get saved anytime you feel like it. Please understand that. If you feel that drawing of the Holy Spirit 
the comforter, who Jesus Christ said he would send when he went. And he said it's expedient. He said it's better, essentially, that I go. For when I will go, I will send the comforter who will teach all things and cause all things I have taught you to be brought into remembrance. The Holy Spirit has to be there to draw you for you to get saved. If he's not there, you don't get saved. Do you know how many people have said, well, I'll get saved, and they kept putting off, putting off, and they even maybe a deathbed. They're laying there in their deathbed, and the preacher comes to them and tries to leave them alone, and he's like, preacher, literally, I want to get saved, but I can't. I can't do it. I have feel nothing in me at all. This is before the modern-day advent of drugs, where people... You know, they, they could have drugged people up when they were dying, okay? Or they didn't have the drugs available, like they do now, where they'll just sedate you and you slip into, into hell. Back then, people would literally many, many times see the Grim Reaper coming up the stairs with chains to take them to hell. Do you know how many accounts I've read of, of that? And it was very common knowledge back then. But you think that's preached in the churches now? And these are people that said, well, I'll just put it off. I'll just put it off. I won't get saved. Now, you better get saved or you're going to burn in hell and then the lake of fire for eternity. You better settle it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is not to like about this that I've laid before you? It is the gift of God lest any man should boast. How much better could it be? What is there? What is there even to, to think about? I don't. I don't understand. I mean, honestly, when, when I got saved, when I was first time I was ever clearly presented the gospel, there was no problem, no resistance, no nothing. It wasn't like I was holding on to the back of the pew with a white knuckle. And, and now, listen, if you have that experience, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, begrudging you or downgrading you. I'm just saying, for me, it didn't happen that way. It was like, wow, where, you know, what do I got to do? You know, so, I'm just telling you, the, the, these old time, you you read a lot of these uh, 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 death, uh, and then it's likewise, the people that, back then, when they didn't have drugs, who were true born-again Christians, when they got saved, and when they went to be with the Lord, this Peace would come over them, and they would literally sometimes see angels and things of this nature. I mean, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. If that don't get you fired up, your wood's wet. That's enough to make a Presbyterian run the aisles. Sorry, I lost control there. Anyway, um, but that's what it's all about. I, I, had a, I had a man email, he says, I need to be more centered on, on the gospel. You know, and, and, and it just so happened I had this plan for, for today. Okay, but I always try to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I always try to include salvation links. Maybe not with every single thing I put out. Because I have a big part of my list that goes to secular people. I don't want to be too overbearing regarding the secular part of my newsletter list, which is more the health part. But they will get many, many links to salvation things and in tracks and things like that, if they're on my if they're on my email list, even on a yearly basis, they're going to get a whole lot of opportunities. Okay, uh, but what I learned from being around my parents for as long as I was around them, you cannot shove the gospel down everyone's 
you got to be careful. You, you need to use some type of discernment because some people, if you do that with them, they are going to do the exact opposite and be repulsed by you and want nothing to do with you. So when you do, when you witness, pray before you do this. Okay? Pray because God can direct you, the Holy Spirit can direct you and guide you into exactly how you need to witness to that particular individual. Some people you have to come with them with a different approach. You try that with my dad or my mom, I cannot tell you how many missionaries, um, whether they be Christian, Jehovah Witness, or Mormon, I saw my dad chase off our property using every version of the F word that you could possibly imagine. Chasing them off on foot. It didn't matter if they had babies or little kids with them either. That was how he would react. Okay? So, my dad... You know, it was a totally different approach, and, and you, you've heard, probably most of you heard the uh, testimony on with my dad, and um, I believe he was led to the Lord, okay? Some people will only get saved through the, through the most unbelievable severity, literally their life has to be taken. It's the only way it's going to happen. Some people, it's the exact opposite, but everybody's different, because, you know, they, they've got different experiences, they've got different hang-ups, uh, their particular personality types. So not everybody's cookie cutter, and you don't witness to everybody the exact same way. Okay, so just I just kind of wanted to throw that in, you know, because you, you need to use discernment, I guess is the whole point I'm trying to make there, regarding witnessing to other people. So, anyway, Romans 10.9 says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart... Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, I'm not saying that you couldn't, if you were in like a coma or, or a semi-comatose state or whatever, and you were able, actually able to hear the gospel, you couldn't get saved. But for the most part, okay, this is just a, a general tenet in the Bible regarding salvation. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That's according to Acts 412. So you can't get saved through Buddha and Krishna and Muhammad or whoever, all these other devil pagan wannabe counterfeits. Okay? Or or through some man or some women that said they've got some revelation from God that is totally contradictory to the word of God. Don't don't follow that. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. Okay, and I give you the link here. This will be the link for the uh, 1228 teaching on contendingfortruth.com. The PDF, which I try to put a PDF up with each teaching. You'll see my full teaching on salvation, which is called True Salvation and the True Gospel Good News. I would highly recommend that if you're not saved or if you're or if you're iffy about this in any way, shape, or form, listen to that. It's a very comforting teaching. Okay, and, you know, people ask me, okay, what about afterward? Okay, well, then I've done other teachings called Overcoming and um, the Cross of Christ, which are things that that are, are pertain to after salvation. But I like to keep them separate, because if we don't keep them separate, we tend to start mingling, commingling works with salvation. Okay, and yes, um, what ends up happening is, is works will follow the faith, okay? Uh, once you have the faith, works will follow. And that, yes, is evidence, but we're not doing it to earn our salvation. They're naturally a byproduct 
of salvation. And this is what I, I try to differentiate because a lot of people then get into the whole, okay, well, I got to maintain my salvation through works. Okay, well, then if you're, you're believing that, then you're not believing that what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you're not believing that free gift that you either freely receive or freely reject was enough. Now you're adding works to it after the fact. So you've got to be real careful with that. So those other teachings are overcoming and the cross of Christ. And you go up to contendingfortruth.com, go to the download section, and there's like 383 teachings, but you should be able to find those there, and that should be a blessing uh, to you as well. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and um, cover this one last part here. And honestly, I think I'm going to have to stop for today, because I'm just I'm just not up to going any further. I think I've, I'm about spent here. Um, I apologize, but I'm just, you know... For one reason or another, the Lord wanted me to get this out today. And uh, this next article, last article, is Abortion and the Occult, A Glimpse Inside the Life of a Death Mill. When Abigail Seidman's mother had an abortion over 20 years ago, it marked the beginning of her plunge into some of the darkest places in human experience. Seidman herself, a one-time atheist, is now a pro-life activist and shared her intimate knowledge of life inside the abortion clinic where her mother began work as a nurse According to Seidman, her mother's descent into the abortion culture was not motivated by the usual social talking points, which are, oh, to save women from dangerous back-allen abortions with, like, coat hangers, or to help, or to, quote, help women in different situations, or even for the money. It was a religion, literally. Seidman described her mother's abortion clinic as pervaded with occult imagery, and practices. The workers considered abortion a form of sacrifice and would perform the procedure as a sort of ritual and worship deities embodying death, she said. I've reported on this before. I'm going to give you all three links to my teaching I've done on this. They view it as holy ritual sacrifice, typically to either Lilith, Moloch, Chemosh, um, those are like some of the main ones. Okay, Lilith, Moloch, Chemosh. Uh, there's more, I know, but, but those are some of the, it depends what type of witchcraft they're involved with and who their main deity of worship is. Okay? A very, very, this is a very, very powerful form of witchcraft. I mean, when you get into, into human sacrifice, you're, you're at the literally, especially of infants, you're at the very pinnacle of the highest realms of Witchcraft, as far as acquiring power, they do this to obtain power, to obtain wealth, to uh, be able to um, make their witchcraft uh, stronger, uh, more potent, more virulent. I mean, uh, you have a human sacrifice along with the spell, you're, you're going to be dealing in, at a very high level of witchcraft. Those would be witches that would be much stronger than your garden variety white witchcraft Wiccan, you know, do-gooder witches, typically. Uh, most likely, at least. Uh, sadly, as a teenager, Abigail and her unborn baby fell victim to this mentality uh, through an abortion that her mother encouraged, despite Seidman's disagreement. It's not the sort of thing that people like to think about, and many might even deny it's true. But Seidman is emphatic that pro-lifers must acknowledge abortion's connection with the occult and recognize it as a key part of pulling out the abortion industry by its roots. See, this is another thing that you don't ever see. I've never seen it. I'm sorry, but I haven't. I haven't really seen many pro-life movement uh, 
Christian pro-life movements emphasize this. This is reality. This is 100% reality. They should be going after this aspect of it because it's so easy to prove like crazy. Because it could really do a whole lot to expose the movement and to expose the whores of this particular movement. But if we just keep it to this argument where, well, it's my choice and, and, and um, I can do whatever I want with my body. If we try to argue with it from that standpoint, without emphasizing this, I think a, a Christian's argument becomes much, much weaker. Uh, it, let's see here. Um, you can click here to read the full interview with her. I give you the link there. Then it ends by saying, it's not just a boogeyman, Seedman told LifeSiteNews.com. She said that she believes the occult believers are the core of the pro-abortion movement. Absolutely. You want to know who's at the top? Take the evilest people in a particular movement, and they're generally going to be the ones at the very pinnacle of the movement. That's the same for any religion in the world. And this is a part, this is how they practice their religion. You look at Buddhists, you look at the Catholic Church, you look at Muslims, you look at the people at the very, very highest level of those false pseudo-religions, and you're going to have the highest occultists that are at the very head. And if the head is sick, the whole body's going to be sick. Satan knows this. So he tries to install the most evil people at the head of various denominations or religions because he knows that if the head is sick, that is going to permeate to the body of the believers, to the laity. I mean, look at the Catholic priests and all this pedophile stuff that they, that they get into. And, and, and the Pope himself. I mean, that guy's so evil, I can hardly stand to even look at the guy. Well, that's, if you were Satan, wouldn't that be what you would do? Try to get the most evil people on the Pope. What's Satan's main goal? To take as many people to hell and then ultimately lake a fire because he knows where his... He knows where he's going to end up. He can try to fight it all he wants, but he knows where he's going to end up. He is a defeated foe. We're made in his image, so he wants to take as many with him as he possibly can. That's what this whole struggle that we're in on planet Earth is really all about. If you boil it down to the most essential levels, that's what it's about. Satan trying to get you to hell in the lake of fire. That's what it's all about. So, the occult believes, believers are the core of the pro-abortion movement, just as the born-again Christians are the core of the pro-life movement. Then she goes on to say, I see no harm in striking at its heart. Amen! Amen! And informing pro-choice people, particularly the misguided pseudo-Christians, which I, I added that in there, who of who... Of, of who and what they are truly associating themselves with. Because there's some... Um, uh, well, a lot of these people that are pro-choice, take, you know, they don't understand. I don't believe my mom when she was involved with I don't think she had any clue of the occult connection uh, with with the particular movement. I mean, I know she was in New Age, but she wasn't she wasn't in there, you know, sacrificing the Lilith or Molech or Chemosh or any of these things. But she gave money to Planned Parenthood. You know, and I thought that was the that was the right thing to do as well, because that was that was the way I was brought up. You know, and that's how see, uh, parents have an influence over their children. You know, if that's all you've ever known, you know, and for the longest time, I believe that. I mean, a, a, 
you know, when I got saved, but it didn't happen instantly, even after I got saved. Because nobody really told me. You know, it was a long time before I kind of got on a little bit more on track. I mean, not to say there wasn't a big change in my life, but it doesn't mean that you're biblically um, literate in all biblical subjects. Particularly when you, you get off and you're reading all these other false Bible versions. We got a living version, an NIV, and they, this one says this, and one, this one says that. And, you know, then you start picking and choosing what you think you like best. I got so bad, I was, I was literally writing out Bible verses in the way I wanted to interpret them. That's what all those Bible versions did to me. And I thought, and, and then pride came in, I had an Amplified, and, and I would come in, and people would come in, and I have all these different Bibles on my desk, and think, oh, how pious and holy am I. And I'm even, I'm even so smart, and I got it so figured out, I'm going to start writing my own uh, interpretations of biblical verses. How delusional I was. But that's where it takes you. Well, the Bible says God is not the author of confusion, so are all these other Bible versions equally as valid as the King James? You know, God is not the author of confusion. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. If his word is settled in heaven, how can he have 200 versions here on planet earth and they all be equally as valid? Particularly when you have really wicked people doing the translation on these other versions. Just something to think about. Now, I've done a whole series on the King James Bible as the preserved word of God that you can key on. You can go to that download section um, at uh, contendingfortruth.com and you'll find it in there. It's very, very important. You know, very, very important subject as well. And I also give you the three links to the occult roots of abortion that I did on this particular subject. And it's very, very important stuff regarding this, this subject, because there's nothing really more grievous going on on planet Earth right now than killing little innocent babies in the womb. I don't think there's anything more grievous to God. And then you have all this innocent blood crying out from the land, literally crying out from the land, and it defiles the land. And then what ends up happening, according to the Bible, particularly because of, of innocent blood crying out from the land, and also um, when you have the sodomites and the homosexuals taking over, um, these things, according to the Bible, literally defile the land, and the land finally gets to the point where it will literally vomit out its inhabitants. And I honestly believe that's about where America's at right now. you got 50, 50 million plus innocent babies that have been aborted since Roe versus Wade, and who knows what the real figure is. you got the sodomites taking over. You, you've got all of the, the sodomy taking place, sexual, these sexual sins that are taking place that are literally defiling the land. And then you've got all of the other And then you've got the, 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 the lukewarm, modern, uh, pseudo-Christian church sitting back and doing next to nothing. All they're worried about is how, how are they going to enrich themselves or how are they going to build a bigger building when there's no biblical mandate. And I just see no Bible for that whatsoever. And they're not being salt and light. They're not reproving the unfruitful works of darkness. They're actually participating with them. You've got wolves in sheep's clothing in the pulpit. You've got hirelings in the pulpit that have no true love for the sheep because a true shepherd will lay down his life for his flock. No, they're hirelings. They're doing it for the money. They're yoked up with the government. They're reading false Bible verses. They, got, they brought all kind of secular things in, into the church. Man, we are so ripe for judgment in this country. I, and I know I said this in 2009. Here we are going into 2011. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ that he's given us this kind of grace and this kind of time. If we got through 2011 
Just particularly, I mean, just looking at the stuff that just happened in the last two weeks, how flagrant the police state is getting in America. That, to me, would be almost an incomprehensible miracle. Okay? And I'm not, you know, I'm not a prophet, okay? But I, I cannot see how in the world we could get out of 2011 until um, before it really got bad. And, you know, if God's provided you a way to get to wherever you need to get, I would do it. You know, and, I, and I, again, I'm not going to get into specifics on that because, you know, we're not cookie cutter. God can be convicting you in a certain particular area and providing a certain way for you to do this and maybe so that you can provide for other people. You know, pray, and people ask me, what do I do? Pray and fast and read the Word of God. That's the best advice I can possibly give you. Okay? Pray and fast and read the Word of God and, you know, try to live, you know, according to the Word of God. Okay? And, and, and um, you know, if you're having a demonic problem, email me. I've got an email uh, uh, attachment on how, on dealing with demonic entities. Because remember, it's a spiritual battle. These are things that, like, kind of like praying and fasting and having the King James Bible playing somewhere in your house and just kind of biblical tenets on what to do. You can email me at drjohnson at the letter i, the letter x, dot netcom, dot com. You can also go up to contendingfortruth.com. My email address is there on the side. You can email me and I'll send that to you. Um, you can also look in that download section because there might be a lot of subjects you see in there on contendingfortruth.com that might key in for you. Um, anyway, I'm going to stop for today. I, I can't go on anymore to, today. I'm just, I'm just spent. And... Um, and I pray the Lord Jesus Christ bless every one of you. And, and, and I do love my listeners, and I pray for you, and, and I thank God for you, and I do believe with the prayers of the saints is the only reason I've been able to actually continue for as long as I've been able to go. But I'm having a real not good feelings about this, this coming year at all. Not to say I'm losing faith by any stretch of imagination. I just don't know how much longer ministries like this are going to be permitted. They've just, they've taken over the internet now. Um, Obama just was granted that not to, uh, within like the last 10 days. It's so flagrant that I'm thinking that I just cannot see how this could go on much longer because they're, they're so in your face and they're so flagrant. And so again, if if this is the last time I, I, I do a teaching or whatever, you know, if we don't meet until heaven, May the Lord Jesus Christ bless you. May he strengthen you. May he keep you. May he protect you and your family. May he use you mightily in the days and times to come. May you have many crowns. May you have many souls that you have witnessed to and touched. And, and, and may there be many souls that are in heaven as a result of your actions and the result and the actions of whatever ministry he's put you in. Because we're not all cookie cutter. We're not all called to do the exact same thing. Yes, we are called to witness. But the Bible talks about teachers and evangelists and preachers and, you know, these types of people. And so we're not all cookie cutter. And, and the, the Bible says, can the finger say to the eye, depart of me, I have no need. Okay, so everybody's got their own kind of little unique niche. And that's why I go around judging other people in a particular sense, which a lot of denominations will do the same. Well, bless God, you've got to do this and this and this. And if you're not doing this, then you're out of the will of God. Okay, show me Bible for that. Because you know, a lot, and a lot, then you get into this whole condemnation thing that a lot of denominations will get into to pigeonhole you into doing something that you might not have ever been called to do. You know, some are called to actually fund missions. 
And maybe that's their primary thing of, of actually earning funds to actually send missionaries and these types of things. So we're all important in the body of Christ. And, and I want to encourage everyone to, to understand that, that not everybody has the same calling, not everybody can do this. Some people, all they can do is pray. Well, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you got a prayer warrior there. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say one person is more important than another. That's, that's not Christian at all. So may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you. I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and this time that you've given us once again to be able to come together to do this teaching. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ for his death, burial, and resurrection, for the sacrifice he made at Calvary to save our souls. I pray if there's anyone listening to this who's not saved God, that that your convicting power would be upon them by the power of the Holy Spirit, your angelic host, and through the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and the blood of Jesus Christ be over them, Lord, that your angels would encamp around about them, that you would convict them and lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would get saved, and, and that you would use them mightily in the days and times to come. We love you, Lord. I pray you forgive us for any and all sins we've committed in any way, shape, or form as we forgive those who have sinned against us and that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If you would like to sign up for Scott Johnson's free Christian current events and health newsletters, please email him at drjohnson at ix.netcom.com. That's d-r-j-o-h-n-s-o-n at the letter i, the letter x, dot n-e-t-c-o-m dot com with the word subscribe in the subject line. Scott Johnson's weekly audios are available for free 24-7 on the internet at contendingfortruth.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-D-I-N-G-F-O-R-T-R-U-T-H dot com. Please help us continue this work. To support this ministry, our mailing address is Scott Johnson, 2nd Line 450, Conover, C-O-N-O-V-R, Boulevard West, number 202, 3rd Line, Conover, North Carolina, 28613. Or on the internet, PayPal can be used at contendingfortruth.com. Thank you, and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.